It's Tuesday, September 14th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Mr. Asit Sharma. Good to see you. Great to see you, Chris. Thanks for having me. We've got the newest subscription service to talk about, and we also have some upbeat numbers in the home services industry. We're going to start with the deal of the day. Intuit, the maker of TurboTax, is buying digital marketing firm MailChimp for $12 billion. This is a cash and stock deal, and it comes on the heels of the acquisition Intuit made last year when they bought Credit Karma for $7 billion. Uh, let me start with the obvious question. Do you like this acquisition? I actually find that I like this acquisition a lot, Chris. And I had a chance to listen to the conference call that Intuit held last night. Really got a chance to understand the strategy behind this. And I must say, I, I'm pleasantly surprised that I agree with it. That price tag bothered me a little bit. There were reports last month that MailChimp was shopping around at a $10 billion stock price. They had $800 million in revenue last year. So, it's not a cheap multiple. But if you look around the software as a service space, uh, as a multiple of uh, price to sales, it's really not as expensive as some of the companies that we happily buy on the publicly traded markets. And it's going to be accretive to Intuit in the first year uh, after closing this acquisition, meaning thereby that MailChimp is going to drop a little bit of coin to Intuit's bottom line. They haven't disclosed the specifics yet. They say that they'll do that after uh, the close of the transaction. But what really piques my interest is that Intuit is looking at this acquisition as almost an entryway into hitting the mid-market, which it historically has, has not played in. Intuit's software suite for small businesses started as a mom-and-pop tool, and they have, over the years, gradually moved into higher and higher segments of the market. This is a way to hit companies that are slightly bigger than its core base of small businesses using MailChimp's artificial intelligence. Uh, interestingly, this acquisition isn't about email marketing, <laughs> which I thought it was uh, on the surface. Sasan Gudzari, who is the CEO of Intuit, really wants to utilize the marketing savvy that this platform has in order to give a full complement to small business owners. And again, the companies right above that level in the mid-market, slightly larger businesses, so that they can not only do the accounting for their business, but they have a better way to market to their customers. And with the artificial intelligence that MailChimp has developed through its evolution from being sort of just that, an email marketing company, into this more complex uh, organization that is able to help automate marketing, they think that they can really service their customer base and grab new business around the world. We should mention here that MailChimp is a globally diversified business. They get uh, quite a bit of business outside of the US. So, it makes sense on a lot of fronts as Intuit decides to take its QuickBooks online offering and make it a more robust animal to hit a bigger market and to keep growing because Intuit's no spring chicken anymore. So, I like that angle as well. Like you, when I saw the price tag, I immediately thought that seems like a lot of money to pay for Mailchimp. But I think you're right that you know part of it, and the reason that 
shares of Intuit are up 1.5%, which is not a lot, but it's on a day when they're about to pay out $12 billion and the market is down. So, clearly, the the community on Wall Street likes this deal. I, I think you're right in terms of you have to weigh this acquisition, the cost of it, against what are multiples like today. I think you also have to look at the company's track record with acquisitions. They've made somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 acquisitions over the past decade. This is a company that, in general, does a good job with acquisitions. And I think their track record and their history is being rewarded today. I agree. Under former CEO Brad Smith, I think they were a lot more uh, of a bolt-on acquisition company looking for small strategic acquisitions. They did have a few outsized uh, transactions, but under Sasan Ghadarzi, they're really using the template that Brad Smith opened up, which is to find strategic fits that can help grow the business at a faster rate uh, than it's growing today. They are not afraid to deploy more capital. Going back to that price tag before we move on, the closest direct competitor to MailChimp that we can find that's available on the public markets is HubSpot. Slightly different business, but both companies are trying to automate marketing for small and medium-sized businesses. HubSpot trades at a multiple of 20 times its sales. If you look at this acquisition, Intuit bought MailChimp at around 14, between 14 and 15 times annual sales. So, on that basis alone, again, you can see that, yeah, it's pricey, but it's it's really not paying too much or overpaying, especially if they're able to utilize that artificial intelligence component that they really like in the business and extrapolate those results going forward with a larger customer base. Shares of Angie up 7% this morning. Angie is the internet services business that was formed when Angie's List merged with HomeAdvisor. The company shared some numbers for the month of August, which included a uh, a 21% rise in revenue, um, which is nice for Angie, although for anyone who remembers Angie's List sort of in its original form, it's it's been... um, I'll just say it's been an interesting ride to watch, Um, uh, but at no point have I thought to myself, boy, I I really need to get shares of this company. Um, You know, the the public life of Angie has been, it hasn't been terrible, but it also hasn't been great. Yeah, Chris, you know, they're coming up on their one-year anniversary. Uh, Company IPO'd in November of last year. In that time, the, the stock has been volatile, but it's basically flat year over year, which is different than many of the companies we've watched in this sort of hot IPO market that have done extremely well. Angie's has a lot of the characteristics that you might like in a stock like this, which provides a platform for homeowners to basically improve their their residences. It's a marketplace business. It's got a curated aspect. Now they're even selling services. But here we go, after a year, the company's selling at less than four times sales. Maybe these numbers indicate that it might be interesting to, to start po- poking around. One of the things that set back Angie's is that they had a lot of marketing spend over the past year as they really took all the brands and merged them under one roof. This was two separate businesses before they went public. 
the Angie's name is the bigger brand name. So of course, that's the one that remains. I think that advertising expense scared off some investors, Chris. They had some outsized losses. But these August metrics indicate that maybe they can get the revenue back on track. I will say that it it's going to be a fun business to watch simply because they're marketing to two different sets of uh, constituents here. They're marketing to consumers, homeowners, but they're also marketing to pros who are coming in and delivering a lot of the services on the platform. And we've seen other businesses survive and, and thrive with this kind of model. I myself am partial to a marketplace business, so I don't want to come out today and start touting this stock, but just to say, sometimes a thesis bears looking into again. If you see some metrics start to rise and there's nothing fundamentally wrong with, say, a young IPO like this, it, it bears some scrutiny. It might be something that's very investable in uh, the next several quarters, especially in an environment where so many companies are offering nosebleed multiples and, and they're so hard to buy just because they seem so expensive. True, but this we've seen enough from this company that I feel like if you're in, you know, similar to when, uh, oftentimes we'll tell people, you know, when a company's getting ready to go public, you know, you might want to wait a couple of quarters just to see how they fare as a public company. Um, that's not the case with Angie. Instead, with Angie, I feel like they're in that zone where it's like, I would like to see a couple of quarters of really great results. And I would be willing, as an investor, to pass up whatever gains come in those first couple of, you know, over a six-month period, just to know that they can deliver. Because to this point, they haven't really done that. They really haven't strung together two or three great quarters. Absolutely. Uh, if you listen to management, their story is, we had to spend more on marketing to pull all these brands under, under one roof. We've really got a business that's very complementary. We're selling services now alongside with marketing services as a platform. This bears proving out past the quarters of outsized spend, which caused the losses. So I think you are perfectly uh, advised here. You, me, any other investors who might be watching uh, this one release today with some nice metrics to just keep it on the radar screen and see if we see um, sustained momentum going forward on that revenue front and also on the operating front to make sure that the management team can control its costs as it goes forward and that their basic economic formula as this two-sided platform business bears out uh, over more than a quarter or two. So I'm with you there in that sense. I think that it, it bears watching. Only more interesting to me, I think because I've been scratching my head at the valuations that are out there in the market now for great businesses that are capital light like this one. So, uh, one that I'll watch and one that maybe we can return to, Chris, in a couple of quarters and, and revisit how they're doing. Shares of Yum! Brands are doing slightly better than the overall market today, and I have to believe that is at least partially due to the optimism around one of Yum's divisions. I'm talking, of course, about Taco Bell. Taco Bell is testing a new subscription service. It is the Taco Lovers Pass. You can get it on the Taco Bell app. It entitles customers to one taco per day for 30 days straight. The pass costs somewhere in the range of five to $10 a month. They are testing this at 17 locations in Tucson, Arizona. Let me start by saying, 
if anybody listening is in the Tucson area and is willing to, to test this out and, and report back to us, please drop us a note, marketfoolery at fool.com. Uh, I'm not going to lie. When I saw this story, I laughed. And then the more I read about it, the more I thought, I think this makes good business sense. What do you think? I had the same reaction. My first thought was taco as a service. <laughs> right. Are we going to see in earnings reports a year from now, our annualized recurring revenue was X. Our dollar-based net retention rate was X. For those of you who are wondering what I'm talking about, these are software as a service metrics that Capitalite software services routinely drop in their earnings reports and conference calls. But then you look at this and you can see that it's another evolution in Taco Bell's experimentation within Young Brands' big portfolio of brands. I like it because, you know, it's going to drive incremental purchases. Anyone who thinks they're just going there and going to take a drive to a Taco Bell to have a taco today to um, get their money's worth over the month. I think you're probably mistaken. If you're anything like me, what's going to happen is you're going to add on some kind of soft drink, most likely. You might get two tacos or, or add on uh, any other type of burrito, chalupa, etc. You can see how long it's been since I've been to a Taco Bell. Do they still have chalupas on the menu? They do. Oh, great. Well, here's maybe if they test market this in my neck of the woods, I'll, I'll try that for, for market research, of course. But what is really appealing to me is that Taco Bell is solving slowly but surely the throughput problems that it's had in the past. So, it wants to get customers through its stores quicker and it wants to drive those customers to the, the stores. Just last month, we heard about a concept called the Taco Bell Defy, which is a is a 3,000 square foot multi-story building with four drive-through lanes, two of which go right under the building. They deliver the food via a lift service. It's completely contactless. In some ways, it's the prototype of the future, but this is really about getting customer traffic through so that no one ever drives away from the drive-through if they see a line. Now they're experimenting on the incentivation size to incentivize people to come in. I think it's brilliant. And I think if it hadn't been for COVID, we would be talking more about subscription-based models. And this was something very much in the air before COVID hit. Think about Stitch Fix. Think about the Dollar Shave Club. This is just another iteration of that. I'm behind this, Chris. What about you? I am because I you look at the way they've priced this. Uh, and I know the obvious move is to think, well, who wants a, a Taco Bell taco every day for 30 straight days? The, the way they've priced this, this basically pays for itself if you go one and a half times a week, you know, you know, five, six times a month, uh, this will pay for itself. And in a sense, it's, it's really no different than what we saw from Panera a couple of years ago with their free coffee um, uh, subscription. And, uh, or I guess it was like $9 a month, you know, same sort of thing. Like a coffee a day is free, but it's nine, it's $9 a month. Uh, so I, I, I'll be interested to see, again, they're testing this in Tucson, uh, starting now through basically Thanksgiving. I'm curious to see what, where they go next with this. If they just say, okay, 
we're going to roll this out nationwide, or maybe they're going to pick some more places. Uh, It is not lost on me that they picked a city which is home to a large university, which is smart. But it also may skew the results a little bit, you know, if uh, overwhelmingly it's University of Arizona students who are driving this and it's like, well, okay, we're not going to roll this out nationally. We're going to we're going to pick some other large, you know, uh, places that have um, a lot of college students. Wouldn't shock me if Boston was somewhere on the list next. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's again, I laughed when I saw it. And then the more I dug into it, I thought, no, this is smart. Well, Chris, this analysis is astute and that's why they pay you the big bucks i'm remembering now that you mentioned this when mcdonald's first dabbled in delivery service now now it's ubiquitous right but this was just a few years ago mcdonald's was very gingerly getting in to the delivery game and they looked at their data and saw that they had this incredible surge of orders late at night in college cities across the U.S. And in fact, they then shifted their rollout to make sure they were hitting uh, college towns with other major metropolitan areas. So I think you're on to something here and, and maybe you have alighted on some of the reasoning behind this. And I'll, I'll be interested, to, to, interested as well to see going forward, is this just something that comes back every now and again as sort of like a, an LTO limited time offering? Or is it here to stay and we actually do get taco as a service um, at Taco Bell and, and some other companies in the quick service restaurant industry will follow suit? Uh, another fun one to watch uh, this fall. Asa Charma, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Same here. Thanks a lot, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.